Good morning. Well, as we uh, jump back into this series of launch, we begin to reflect on uh, what God has done and, and certainly uh, what God is continuing to do through his church. And so we're going to pick up in Acts 9, 31 uh, through 43. And the title of the sermon this morning is The Fear and Encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, 31 through 43. Let's read that together. So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there were a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she came, became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him to urge him, don't delay in coming to us. Peter got up and went to them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turned towards the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows, presenting her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Uh, Father, we enter your presence this morning. We thank you for your word. Would you speak to us now? Lead us and guide us in all truth. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that's, a, that's an amazing story, is it not? It's an amazing story. So, how many of us have, maybe recently even, gone out in the middle of the, of the night and looked up at the star that you get to see in Houston, Texas, right? <laughs> oh, wait, there's another one, I think. No, I don't think that's a star. That's something else, right? Maybe that's a plane. Uh, we kind of we lose the awe and wonder uh, of space, don't we? Uh, it's, we? We've got layers of smog and so much light that it, it just gets drowned out. Uh, and, and we don't look up at, in just amazement and awe and wonder uh, at the creation all around us. Uh, but if you've ever had that opportunity where you've been somewhere where you don't have the smog and you don't have the lights, it, it is just mind-blowing. Uh, I can remember as a child uh, living up north and in South Dakota and, you know, as a young kid, we'd go out and we'd grab our sleeping bags and just roll it out in the lawn and we'd just lay there and just look up. And 
you can't not lay there and just ask questions. You know, what, what was that? Uh, what's going on over here? And, and you just see all this movement, and you're just almost overwhelmed by it. Uh, I was reminded of that just recently, coming back from South Africa. We were out in the middle of the bush, and, you know, we're just kind of going about our, our evening, and, and we all kind of are getting ready to jump back in the car, and we all just kind of stopped, and we said, hey, wait, look up. And everybody looked up, and they were like, whoa, y- you forget <laughs> what, the, what space, what the stars, you forget what they look like. Uh, I think we're, we are often like that when we read the scriptures. We, we lose that awe and wonder when we read the passages. We're, we're very familiar with the stories, and um, we, we kind of lose that, that, that awe. And so we've got, to, we've got to fight to keep that. We have to fight to keep that. Um, when we see the stars, sometimes we, we, we can't even comprehend what, what it is that we're seeing. Um, when you think of of our sun, right, it's, it's pretty small, represented um, in this picture, just that little dot there in the night sky, and then that, that big kind of or- reddish-orange thing, that, um, that's Betelgeuse, right? It's, it's huge. It, it, it's so much larger than our sun, we can't even comprehend it. But then the next picture, uh, you see Betelgeuse is kind of that middle, that middle orange sun there at the bottom, and it's probably equivalent to the size that our sun is to Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse is to this quasi-star. Uh, can, can, you, can you wrap your head around that? It's, it's, it's almost mind-blowing to think about it. And then when you begin to think about the speed of light, right? How long did it take us to see these images when we look up into the sky before it actually comes to us? Um, again, my mind can't, it, I can't even comprehend any of that. It's, it's overwhelming. It's too much. But when we think of the scriptures and we think of what God has revealed to us, we have to come with that same sense of awe and wonder because when we look at at space, and when we look at all of creation, we, we have to remember that there is a God who created. Psalms 36, 6 says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. God breathed out the stars. And you begin to, to see the magnificence and awesomeness of our, of our God who created. A lot of times, when you think about space, um, a lot of people will ask the question, is, is there life out there? What do you think? And, and a lot of times people will say, well, it would be an awful waste of space <laughs> if that's all there was. But I think sometimes we fail to recognize if there was no life in all the known universes and all that we see around, if there was no life, 
the glory of God alone would be sufficient for creating everything that's been created. And the idea that he created for us to see, to know his awesomeness, it would be, it would be enough. It would be sufficient. It's not a waste. The heavens declare the glory of God. But when we come to scriptures, we, we also recognize that there is a creator God. I didn't realize this printed on front and back. And now I'm trying to figure this out. I beg your pardon. Um, God, gives us, God gives us revelation for a purpose, right? When we, when we, look, at, when we look at space, when we look at all the created order, when we look at mountains, when we look at oceans, we, we should be held in, in awe of who God is. Uh, but we recognize that, you know, when we speak of the Old Testament, this psalm that speaks of the God who creates, uh, that creator is Jesus Christ. All things were created by him and for him. And he, he bears the image of the invisible God. Nobody has ever seen God. But we, we have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son. And, and so there's this distinction between, when we talk about revelation, there's general revelation, that which we can know of God through his created order, through all that we see, uh, and then there's special revelation. Romans 1, uh, 18 through 20 thing. 23 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of the people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known of God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen by what is created in the world being understood through what has been made. As a result, the people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show him gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, his immortality, for the image resembling mortal men, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Revelation general is enough for us to know that there is a God, and we should be in awe of this God. It should, it should prompt us to, to explore. You know, that's a question that is... The religions... Uh, this is the reason. Because you can know that there is a God by creation. But we have to be careful because what happens is we end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And that's why we need special revelation. When you think of, of Isaiah standing before the throne of God, his glory revealed before him, what is, what is Isaiah's response? I am undone. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen 
the king, the Lord of armies. That is special revelation, God revealing his glory specifically to us. Not that we can just know that there is That is of the, of the utmost importance. That, that God, he's, he's at work. He's at work amongst us. So what does all of that have to do with this passage this morning? Good question. I'm glad you asked. When we come to this first uh, 931, it says, So the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria uh, had, had peace. was strengthened. Living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. Uh, when we read that passage, when you read these other passages, uh, like much of Scripture, you can kind of just read it and be like, okay, that, that was interesting, and it just kind of move on. Again, we've lost the awe of wonder. If I, if I were to present this story uh, to somebody who had never read it before, had never heard it before, we're just introducing them to the God of, of creation, the God uh, that reveals himself. You, you take this to the bush of Africa and you read this story and they're, they're, they're dancing around praising God. Like, look what God is doing. Look what he has done. This is, this is amazing. And so, like the stars for us, the, sometimes the scriptures have been veiled. They're, they've been hidden. And we have to fight against that temptation to, to just be kind of numb by it and to be not in awe of it. It's amazing what God is doing. And this passage says, they were living in the fear of the Lord. And I think for our culture, we struggle with this idea of fearing the Lord, living in fear. Now, the idea that they were living in fear means it was perpetual. So they lived in a continuous state of fear. That sounds fun, Right? That doesn't sound like a God that, that we want to worship, but, but that's who God is. And when we understand what this fear is, I think we want to get back to that place where we live in the fear of the Lord because we fear him because of his awesomeness, because he's the God who breathes out stars, because he's the God who created everything. And, and this fear is more living in a, in a continual state of awe and wonder. Does that sound more appealing? To live in a continual state of awe and wonder of who God is. That is an amazing thing. And we have to, we have to get back to this place where that's, that's who we are as a people of God. We, we regained this, this fear of the Lord, this sense of, of awe and wonder of, of who God is. This is exactly what Jesus said that he would do when he came. Why do we have signs and wonders and miracles uh, it's for a reason, and it's for, it's for a purpose. I've confused myself royally this morning. 
So in, in Luke 5, he says that there's, there's a purpose for his, his miracles. Uh, Luke 5, 20 through 25 says, uh, seeing their faith, this is the, the, the story of the, the men who raise the man up on the roof and they lower him right before Jesus' feet. And he says, seeing the men's faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Uh, but Jesus, aware of their reasoning, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you? Or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up. Pick up yourself and, 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 and go home. Pick up your mat and go home. And immediately, he got up and went before them and picked it up that he had been lying, they, they, and they glorified God. So there, there was a purpose for the healings. And so why, why do I mention this? Uh, when we come to passages like this, we ask the question, um, has God changed? <laughs> we know the answer to that, right? God has not changed. And so there's a debate within the church uh, between the cessationist and the continuous, continuationist. Continuous? Um, cessationist would, would say the, the apostolic authority given to the apostles was for, a pe- or was for a reason. There was a purpose behind it. It was to lay a foundation for the church, but that gift has ceased. It's ended uh, with the apostolic age. Um, so there, there is a transition. Do, do the, does the apostolic gift cease? I think the apostolic gift continues. Uh, I've talked about this in the past. Apostolic authority, I do think, ended. But what we recognize is we still serve the same God. The God who is revealing his glory does so for a purpose, so that we might know him, that we might worship him. Paul tells us this in Acts 14, uh, 2 through 3. But he says the, the Jews were disbelieving, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles, and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who is testifying to the word of grace, granting that signs and wonders may be done by their hands. And so there was a, there was a specific reason for, for miracles. God is, is revealing his glory so that they might know God. And the, the apostles had the authority to do this. When, so when we read these stories, we're seeing what God is doing. He's testifying to his glory through the hands of the apostles. He's commissioned them to do this, to, to, to lay a foundation which the church would be built upon. And that foundation is, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. That is the foundation that we are building on, and we can build on no other. But while the apostolic transition happens, uh, the apostolic calling, the apostolic gifting, I think, continues because we're all called as a church to send out people into the world, sent ones, apostolic. Uh, but the apostolic authority given to the apostles, I do think, ended. 
because God had done what he said he would do. He laid a foundation. And, and oftentimes we, we look for signs and wonders maybe for the wrong reasons. And we fail to see that in Scripture we've been given a testimony of the power of God. When we look up into the heavens, we've been given a testimony that there is a God. When we look to the Scriptures, we see and know who God is. And it's sufficient. The Scriptures are enough. If we never saw another sign, wonder, miracle ever happen again, he's already done it. He's already revealed all truth that we might know him and that we might have salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But what I'm not saying is that God has changed. I don't know a single missionary that when we send out, they don't get on their knees and pray for healings and pray for signs and wonders to be done but not by their hands, but by the glory of God for the purpose of establishing in church, his church in places that there is no church. And God hasn't changed, so God still can do that. But the authority has passed from the apostles to who? It's passed on to us. We've been made priests. We've been given authority in heaven and earth to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them to obey. And Jesus will be with us always. And so we are, we are called to continue on this work. Now, all of us would love to have the authority just to lay hands and, and heal and it be done. But I think what you'll see, even with Peter here, it's not about Peter. It's, a, it's about God. It's about, it's about the glory of the Lord. When he... <clears throat> comes to the, to the house of, of Aeneas, we see this. So we have, to, we have to regain this fear of the Lord, and we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is working, that we need to be encouraged. When we, when we come to this passage, we see that, that God is working through his church, ecclesia, uh, and he mentions that he mentions that twice in verse 31, that the church is living in a state of peace and it's being strengthened. And so I think this verse 31 can, can point really to almost uh, a summary statement of all the book of Acts, of what God is doing, and maybe even largely a summary of the whole New Testament. What God is doing to lay a foundation through his church to instill in us a fear and awe and wonder of the Lord and, and a working of the Holy Spirit to be encouraged by what God is doing. And I think that's what we see happening here with Peter. Peter was traveling from place to place and he came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. So, so Peter is, is traveling around um, and when we think of apostles, where do, where, do we think, where do we think apostles are going? We typically view the apostles, they're these crazy guys who are out just sharing the gospel like crazy, and, uh, and then they just kind of move on. Uh, but what we see here, you know, the beginning of Acts, we see a lot of that. We see a lot of proclamation. We see a lot of evangelization and and Peter and John go into the temple and they're boldly proclaiming the gospel, right? Then there's this transition in the apostolic work. And where do they first come to? He first comes to the saints 
who lived in Lydda. And so again, going back to verse 31, what did, what did the saints need? They needed to be reminded of who God is, and they needed to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter is traveling around. I'm sure he's still sharing the gospel, but he's also coming back to, to the church. He's coming back to believers to remind them of who they are, remind them of their identity, point them back to the foundation that has been laid, to a holy God who is present among them and encouraging them in the Holy Spirit. And so God gives him, obviously he see, we see here he gives him opportunity, an amazing opportunity, uh, a man who had been lame for eight years, Aeneas, And he says to Aeneas, does he say, Aeneas, I heal you? It's not what he says. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. So Peter doesn't point to his authority. He points to Jesus Christ and his authority as a testimony to his glory. And, and what is the result of this in this passage? What is the result? Many who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now we all probably know somebody who suffers from, from cancer, who su suffers from illness, and, and, and we would love for them to be healed. But a lot of times we want, we want healing for selfish purposes, Right? But in the scripture, they're, they're always pointing to the glory of God. They're always a, a sign that point to who God is and his power and his authority to, to revive in us a sense of awe and wonder, that, that, that righteous fear of the Lord. But also to be encouraged that, that God is among us. He's, he's at work. And so I'm not saying we should stop praying, but we, we do need to check our motive. Because um, not everybody who is sick gets healed. And sometimes we, we live in a state of fear and doubt. Why wouldn't God heal in this situation? Uh, why God, wouldn't God heal here? Um, the truth is God offers us healing, but it's a different kind of healing. He offers us his gospel, which heals us fully of the most awfully dreadful disease that mankind has ever known. It's fallenness. It's separation from a holy God. And God says, I will heal you of this. This is what he says to the paralytic, right? He says, your, your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. That's, that's the first thing that Jesus went to because it's the most pressing need that we have, the forgiveness of sins. But when we read that story, like you've got a paralytic guy laying here. And you're saying your sins are forgiven? The emphasis is on that, that spiritual healing that reunites us back into a relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. That's what's important. And I think that's what we need to be reminded of in the scriptures. Our need for the, the, the healing of fallenness that only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection is for a purpose. It's for our ultimate healing. That one day we get to live in the presence of God. Death is not final. It's lost its sting because it can't defeat us. 
We can't be separated from the love of God. And then we come to the story of, of Dorcas, Tabitha. Um, you see this, this contrast in names because you've got Greeks and Hebrews all kind of living together. And uh, so Tabitha is her name, but she, she's translated Dorcas. Uh, did God heal her because she was a, a, a cool gal and did a bunch of good stuff? And that, that wasn't the purpose. Again, Peter's coming back to uh, the saints. He's, he's working among them. And he wants them to know who God is. Um, now, some of us probably struggle, struggle with that word, uh, saints, right? Who are the saints? Uh, I think in our culture, we've got two contexts. Some of us might come from a religious background uh, that used the word saints as those that are, that are kind of the special people, uh, maybe verified by a, a miracle or something like that. Uh, and then in a cultural context, you know, we hear all the time, well, I ain't no saint, right? Uh, and ultimately, that's typically to kind of justify maybe that I'm, I'm not one of those people that can live like that. Uh, and that's a mischaracterization of what the word saint is. Uh, hagios is the, is the Greek word. Uh, and the idea is, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And, and so the idea is we've been made holy. Not by anything we've done, not by anything we deserve, but because we have the righteousness of Christ dwelling in us through faith. And so our identity is different when we put our faith in Jesus. We've been made new, new creation, new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. And, and that is now our identity. So we shouldn't be ashamed to say we're saints. Paul's addressing uh, the saints as, as greetings in Romans 1.7. Uh, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality, impurity, or greed should not be heard among you, as is proper for saints. And I think it's very well described in 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 3 uh, But the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all of those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord. So this idea of, of sainthood that Paul is addressing is this new identity that we've been given in Christ Jesus. We have become saints through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the, the, the apostolic transition that we see is, is God is still at work, but he's transitioning. When we come to Dorcas, we see the same thing. Um, he heals the dead. Now, you might see a contrast in the story. The first one, he says, Jesus heals you. Um, this one, he just says, get up, right? Uh, and you might say, well, did he forget about the Jesus part? Uh, not, not at all. Uh, Peter bows down in prayer before her. What, what do you think Peter's prayer was? Who was he praying to? He was praying to a holy God. And he was praying that the power of Jesus would come upon her 
to heal her. So in closing, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we lost in space? <laughs> are we lost in the smog and the, of the light? And, and have we lost the awe and wonder of what God has revealed through his creation, what God has revealed to his word? We, we need to, to regain that sense of awe and wonder. But you might be here this morning and you've never known God in this way. You've never understood that he desires to make you a saint, righteous, holy before him. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, he offers us new life through faith in Jesus Christ. And he invites you into his kingdom. He invites you to be his sons and daughters. Not because you've done anything to deserve it, because of who he is. Because of his glory and for his kingdom. And so let us not be lost. Let, let us come to the throne of grace. Be encouraged by who he is in awe and wonder and fear of him. And let us be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the, the testimony that God has given on us in his scriptures to know that, that he is a God that is present, that he is with us, and that he saves and will be with us forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning and our desire is to be in awe of you and forgive us where we have failed in that respect. Forgive us where we have grown dull, where we have failed to see your glory as it has been revealed in all of creation and as you have revealed it in your word. And so let us come anew this morning to your thr throne of grace and receive your mercies anew for the forgiveness of sins. For, for those who are already called saints, Lord, we, we come to you and we ask for forgiveness. We repent of indifference and, and our dullness and we want to be renewed in our awe of wonder of you. For those of us who have never come, Lord, we come asking for forgiveness of sins. And we recognize that Jesus paid for those sins on the cross, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have life as we put our faith and trust in you. So we come to you this morning and pray for encouragement by your Holy Spirit. Would you continue to work in it and through us? We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.